I got something on my mind this morning. I've had on my mind probably for three or four weeks. Uh, it's the Old Testament. How many of y'all have ever heard of, of, of types and shadows in the Old Testament? Have you ever heard that phrase? Types and shadows. What that means is, is that there are places in the Old Testament where the character or the central character in a narrative or a story, as that narrative or story is read, we can see the work of Jesus in. And they're referred to as a type of Christ. Now, need to say this, is that no Old Testament character or anybody else, far as that goes, is the perfect type of Christ because they're human and they have faults and they have failures and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But in these stories about the lives of some of the Old Testament characters, there, there's glimpses of Jesus and His work in it. And it tells a story that, uh, that we need to know about. Now this morning I want to present to you, and I had not done this in a long time, I want to present to you uh, a message on a type and shadow of Jesus in the life of a man named Samson. This is uh, Judges 14, 1 through 6. Now, when we talk about Samson, what do you, what do you think about? Strength. Strength. Why was he strong? Hair. He had long hair. He was a Nazarene. His parents had an angelic visitation. Before he was born, it liked to have, literally, it liked to have scared them, slammed to death. But God's hand and God's anointing was on Samson to be a judge and a deliverer in Israel. And God was, in, in some wonderful way, able to use Samson with, 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 with his faults and with his failures, with his excesses and his deficiencies... He was able to use Samson in a way that he really didn't use anybody else in the entire Bible. There's a message in that for us. And the message is this, is that God's able to use you. And we talk about this often. He's able to use you with all of your excesses and with all of your deficiencies with all of your failures, with all of your mess-ups. He's able to use you in miraculous, supernatural, big ways. And that needs to become a way of life with us. You know, you know why God doesn't use some of us to our full potential during the course of the everyday run-of-the-mill things in life? Huh? We don't let Him. One, one reason is we simply don't believe He will. Number two, we believe the lie of the enemy when the enemy says, oh, He won't use you, He can't use you, you've messed up, you are messed up. Uh, look at this and look at that and look at the other. Who do you think you are that God would use you? Who are, who are you to even say that, that you're saved and that you're a Christian? Look at your mess. And we believe the lie of the enemy more than we believe the word of the Lord. And the enemy will isolate us during the run of a day and he'll, he'll, he'll be able to, to um, what would be a good word, magnify 
the situations and, and, and the circumstances of the day and all the pressures and, and, and all this other stuff that, that dance around our lives and, and through our heads and distract us from what God wants us to do. And so the thing I want to say this morning is this, is that the, the people in the Bible that God used, there are people just like you. God had His hand on them. God has His hand on you, regardless of whether you, you think so or not. Regardless of whether you feel it or not. He has His hand on you. Say, He has His hand on me. No, y'all don't believe that. No, no, you don't believe it. Say it. He has His hand on me. Do you see how much better that makes you feel? Simply by acknowledging that there is a God and He knows you and He loves you. He has chosen you. He has picked you out. He has laid an anointing on your life and a destiny. He knows who you are. And He is more than able. The Scripture says He is more than able to accomplish His purpose in your life. As a matter of fact, all you've got to do is get up in the morning and start putting a foot in front of the other and just follow His voice. And I'm here to tell you, you can't fail. And listen to me. We all know how Samson's life ended. He was at a Philistine party. He was blind. They pulled him in to make a mockery of him. They set him between two pillars. And he literally brought the house down. And the scripture says that he killed more of his enemies in his death than he did in his life. Listen to me. Even in your death, ever how it may be accomplished, God wins. And you win. Do you hear me? One of the... I may be getting a little sidetracked, but this kind of feels good. One of the things that marked the early church in the book of Acts is that they were absolutely unafraid to face death, persecution, and everything else that went along with being a believer in Jesus. You know what really happened to a believer in the Jewish community if they confessed Jesus? They lost everything. They became them and their families became as dead people, non-existent in the community. Folks wouldn't talk to them on the street. Furthermore, if they owed money on their house, the people who had lent their money would call the loan in. And if they didn't have the money to pay, they lost it and everything in it. Their young boys were turned away from the synagogue where it was the place of teaching. Which means their kids couldn't get an education. If they needed to buy groceries, the orthodox butcher, the orthodox baker, and if they needed to buy candles, the orthodox candle maker wouldn't sell them any goods. You know where they had to go? They had to go to the non-Jewish community. Or they would find a crook in the Jewish community who would sell it to them for three or four or five times what it was worth. They lost their jobs. And worse, a lot of the stuff even went into the, into the physical thing. 
They were beaten, they were put in jail, some were executed. And according, and I've been reading through Acts lately, according to the book of Acts, you know what the usual response was when they were persecuted? When they were hurt, when they were ostracized and thrown away because they had the hand of God on their life. They were able to stand in front of their accusers, given the opportunity to recant Jesus, and they wouldn't do it. And then they would pay the full penalty of whatever was involved. In some cases, even they lost their lives. And you know what that makes me feel like some days? Just about this tall. Because my worst day is better than their best day if you want to measure it by comfort. The worst day you face now is better than most of their best days that they went through. I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty, but simply to call your attention to the fact that in our, we think our pain is pain, but our pain is not pain. Very much. Sometimes it gets to that degree. But listen to me. Just like God had His hand on Samson and He had a purpose for him, He had an assigned destiny, God was fully able to perform that in spite of Samson's weaknesses. And in spite of his character flaws and his moral dilemmas. See, Samson was no choir boy. You start reading the life of Samson, you'll find out real quick he was full of moral deficiency. As a matter of fact, in many cases, he was morally blind. But by the sheer force of his being, he could do things. But when, when the Spirit of the Lord came on him, the Scripture says Samson would shake himself. You ever seen people shake under the influence of the Holy Ghost? Looks weird sometimes. Don't I? I'm telling you, some people just absolutely shake when the Lord comes on them. I've learned not to judge those people. Other people laugh. Other people fall out. <laughs> There's all kind of phenomenon that will happen to a person when the Spirit of the Lord comes on them. But Samson, was he would shake and the anointing would be so strong he could, he could literally tear up anything in his path and in many cases folks died because God was using him to deliver Israel. I'm going to just tell you something. In the same way today, God is going to use you to deliver people. He might even use you to deliver the church. He might use you as a deliverer in your family. He might use you as a deliverer in the community. He might use you as a deliverer in the nation. But God's got something special for you. And I know I'm taking a long time to introduce this message, but He might have something special for you. And I believe He does. Follow after it. Let it be a precious thing to you. And just show up for Him, okay? Now, Samson is a type of Christ. Judges 14, verse 1. She's getting it back up there. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. 
Now, don't leave this when we get to the bottom. He went back and told his father and his mother, I have seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. You know what Timnah means? Of course not. You hadn't been studied. Probably the Lord didn't tell you to go to the Bible or concordance and see what Timnah means. You know what Timnah means? Timnah means portion. It means the part. It could also be carried further as, as to the inheritance. It could be my lot in life. So Samson goes toward his portion. And like I said now, we're going to talk about Samson as being a type of Christ. It's not always going to be perfect, but it's a type and a shadow. You can see Jesus darkly. Let me tell you what Jesus did for you. He saw you as the lawful portion of His inheritance and His desire. Jesus saw you that way. When He looked out from all eternity during this conversation that was held between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, when they made covenant to save mankind, Jesus... Out of all the mass of humanity, he looked out and he said, I want this one. This, this one belongs to me. This one is my portion. And that one 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 and the other one and the other one and the other one. This is my portion. Also something else that Jesus did. Now, Timnah was in the land of the Philistines, which was Gentile country. I mean, you couldn't get any more Gentile and you couldn't be any more of an enemy of Israel if you were a Philistine. Matter of fact, what happened later during the time of David? There was a war and there was a giant by the name of Goliath. God raised David up to be a, a deliverer too. But anyway, getting back to Samson. Yours portion. Jesus... The, Israel, the, the Jewish people were a chosen generation. They were special people unto God. Read the Scripture, it'll tell you about it. They were His people above all the nations of the earth, not because they were pretty or smart or this or that or the other, but simply because He wanted to love them. And He sent Jesus to them, and they rejected Him. But what was also in the plan of God beyond the Jewish people? What was in the plan of God from eternity? Jesus set His heart on a Gentile people too, who would be grafted in, who would be adopted into the family of God, not, not, because of, not necessarily because they were Jewish, which they weren't, but be simply because He loved them. See, He loved you. And you're just as Gentile as it gets. I'm just as Gentile as it gets. Matter of fact... I'm a Gentile living in southern Georgia with a drawl who dresses odd. But you know what? He loved me. And I will tell you now with every fiber of knowing in my body that He loves me 
regardless of where I live, regardless of my tribe, regardless of the, blood, the physical bloodline that I have. He loves me regardless of what I look like, regardless of what I wear. He loves me regardless of what I say and what I do, something when it's not on the mark, when I miss it. He loves me just as much when I miss it as He does whenever I hit it square on. And we've got to quit punishing ourselves when we don't hit it square on and begin to think He doesn't love us anymore. Or He's withdrawn His plan and program from our life. Because I tell you, there's still a portion out there for me. And there's a portion out there for you. And it's, it's just around the next curve. And it's just over the next hill. And it's in full view out there somewhere. So don't give up on yourself, is what I'm trying to say. Because God's not going to give up on you. Anyway. Get her for me as a wife. Next slide. But his father and mother said to him, now here you go, here's the Jewish thing coming out. Can't you find a young woman among your relatives or among any of their people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Now here's, here's the Jewish thing against the Gentile thing. This is like the haves against the have-nots. This is the people who hated the Philistines and hated anything that was outside the covenant and outside the law as they had been taught and as they knew it. They were offended because Samson, their son, who was a Jewish boy, had his heart set on a, on a, on a Philistine wife. Because she was not of the tribe. She was not of the bloodline. She was not of the covenant. She was not of their country. She was, she was everything outside the box that they could think of. And they complained about it. But still, Samson said, what? Get her for me because I want her. In other words, Samson's affections could not be turned away from her. His heart was set on her. She was his portion. Jesus is the same way. Regardless of any, any obstacle that could have been in the way, Jesus had his heart set on you. Yes. And see, you don't have to be or do like somebody else. Be and do you. Because you can't be some, you can be a real good you, but you can't, you'll be a bad somebody else. I have a story I tell occasionally. A lot of y'all never heard it, so I'm going to give it to you. Some of y'all have heard it two or three times. I guess that's what you get for hanging around so many years. But anyway, <laughs> here's the thing. When I first started preaching, it's, it's an interesting thing. For those of you who, who've never really been called to preach and to stand in front of people and to break the Word of God and the Word of life and just give it out, if you've never been called to preach or minister in a formal capacity, kind of like this, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a scary thing. For somebody who's never preached, it's a, it's a hard thing. But I mean, I'm, I think it terrifies you because you've seen, you've seen all the icons. Okay, You've seen T.D. You've seen Kenneth. You've seen Billy. You've seen Adrian. Creflo, give me some more. Benny. Harry. Perry, I mean. Who else? Seen all the icons. You know, we could just listen. Seen all the icons. Maybe the pastor that you grew up with in your church. He was like an icon. 
oh my God, he's been doing this for 40-something years. He just makes it look so fluid and so easy and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And now God's working on me. God wants me to do this. I can't do this. I don't know how to do that. I haven't been trained. I haven't been equipped. I haven't been to school. All this, all this stuff. I remember when I started preaching, I felt that way. Now listen to me. And this is the truth. It was, it was most days it was ugly. <laughs> or it was to me. I visited this lady in South Macon. She was uh, Miss Frances Collins, Sister Frances. She was on oxygen, sort of confined to her house. And every, we would make little cassettes of the, of the preaching every Sunday. And on Monday, I'd go down there and I'd give her one. And I made my routes with the shut-ins. And I gave them copies of the cassettes so they could listen to. And, and so every Monday, that was my routine. Frances was married to a man who was an alcoholic. And they lived in a very small house, and we lived in a, when I visited, it was in a very small living room, and, and the, his bedroom was just off the living room, and it was kind of open. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd stay in there. He wouldn't come talk to me. He would stay in there so he could listen to everything, and he'd leave the door open. And we would talk through the door. Every once in a while, he would say something, and we would talk through this open door. But I never didn't see him because he left the room dark. This is true, so help me, Jesus. This is true. And so one day, I went down there, and Francis said, Brother Keith, do you like, and she called the name of the pastor, do you like to listen to him? I said, I sure do. She said, well, she said, I have, and she had them sitting there. She said, I have got two Piggly Wiggly bagfuls of his tapes that are sent to me every week. And I would, I'd be glad to let you use them. You can listen to them and bring them back when you get through. Well, boy, I was just, I like that. And uh, we kind of went on talking back and two and and finally asked a question i said well why do you want me to have these and out of the darkness the voice came and this truth so help me jesus out of the darkness the out of the out of the darkness the voice came said because you can't preach <laughs> now at that point I, I one or two things could have happened you know we could have had a verbal exchange, maybe even fisticuffs, I don't know. You know. It could have escalated along that way. Or I could look at that as a teachable moment. Because I knew there was a lot of truth. And I was able to actually do the man's funeral years later. And I told, this, I told that same story. You know, I did. And you know what? In my spirit, I never held that against him. It never hurt me. Because the Lord was talking to me. But anyway, here's, here's the rest of that story. I began to listen to those tapes of this one guy. And I listened to I'd listen to them four and five and six a day, over and over and over. And I was getting stuff in me. And, um, and every Sunday after we'd finish uh, the morning services, I'd go back to the church and I'd plug that little tape in and I would listen to myself. Really wouldn't it? Y'all, I'm t- this is the truth. I would listen to myself because I wanted to hear what I was saying and see if I could have a a reasonable train of thought or a thread that would go throughout the message. And I was sitting there in the church one day listening to that today's cassette. And I'm going to tell you, I heard something on that tape and it went all the way through me. It liked to have scared me to death. You know what I heard? I heard me sounding just like another man. I heard me giving voice inflection the way he would. I heard me pronouncing words the way he would pronounce them. You know what? 
I'd filled my head up with so much, so much of the sound of another man preaching. I began to take that on myself. I began to, I began to become like this other man. Now, you don't think that won't happen? It can happen to worship leaders, can it? It can happen to Sunday school teachers. It can happen to preachers. It can happen to youth leaders. It can happen to anybody on the face of this planet. When you begin to, to sort of model yourself about somebody who ain't Jesus. And so what I'm here to tell you is this. Be yourself. Be yourself. Let God's gifting and let, let the personality He's given you in a wholesome way come out. Because people can relate to that and respond to it. You're an original. You're unique. Samson was the same way. They'd never been another one before him like it. And there's never been another one after him like it. He did something that was specifically for him. And at this point, what he is saying is, regardless of what anybody says, I want that bride. What Jesus said Regardless of what anybody thought or said, he said, I want that bride. That's the one I'm choosing. I got my heart set on her, and you're part of that. That's right. Next slide. Now, his father and mother did not know that, did not know this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Isn't that amazing how the Lord kind of keeps his purposes sort of. Uh, out of sight sometimes? Have you ever thought that you've been confused about something or somebody perhaps and what they were doing or how they were working for the Lord and, or even in your own life you weren't exactly sure what was, God was doing? Well, sometimes He'll keep His purposes hidden for a while until He can fully manifest them at the proper time. Okay, next slide. Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah, place where you begin to harvest. Suddenly, a young lion came roaring at him. The Spirit of the Lord took control of him. Hmm. Okay. And he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Hmm. Took control of him. How many people do you know who are afraid to let the Holy Ghost take control of them? How many, how many times have you been afraid to allow the Spirit of the Lord to take control of you? How many times have you hesitated? Have you waited? Have you halted? How many times have you let your head talk the Holy Spirit out of your heart to a degree? Well, you know what? I think I can make the statement here. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and took control of him, and as Samson became a willing participant of that, it was then he was able to tear a young lion apart with his bare hands as if it were nothing. I don't know about you, but I ain't real crazy about sticking my hands in the mouth of no lion. Now, I ain't real crazy about just taking it. You know, the lion challenged him. I ain't real crazy about if there's a lion out there, me challenging him. I'd do one of two things. I'd either try to run or I would hope I would have my 40 cal back here in my back holster. One of them two things. But Samson allowed the Lord to take control of him and he met his foes square on. And what was the result? 
Can't you see him now? Can't you see that lion jumping at him and Samson grabbing the lower jaw with one hand and grabbing his nose with the other and just ripping him jawbone from jawbone? Can't you just see him with one hand grabbing that lion by the neck and just squeezing the life out of him? Just in, in, in all of his righteous indignation, just like, you stupid lion, to think you could come against me as I'm going to get my bride, you ridiculously ignorant, dumb, and lame lion, I'm going to choke the life out of you. And he takes his bare hand and he just crushes the larynx and the, the esophageal aspect of his throat and he breaks his neck on the spine and he just brings it right down to nothing. Then he grabs his left leg with his right arm and he grabs the right front or the yeah, the right front leg with his other arm and he just gives a yank and tears him in two like a piece of paper and leaves him on the ground. I can see that. Well, you know, in the same way Jesus did the same thing. There was a point in time when Jesus left eternity and He became a man. He was born of a woman, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And He grew up in a little town. And there was a point in time when Jesus reached adulthood. He turned. He made the turn to begin to pursue His wife. He was headed to His portion. And over the course of roughly three years, He loved on people. He blessed people. He set right what was wrong. The Scripture says He fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. And at a place called Calvary, a, a, a lion raised His head. And He dared stand between your Jesus and my Jesus. And He dared deny the King of kings and the Lord of lords the, the, the privilege of taking His wife. And the thing which stood in the way... You know, the Scripture talks about the lion. I mean, I mean, the devil being a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This is not in this story by accident. And just as Samson met the threat of the enemy head on, so did Jesus meet the threat of the enemy head on. And what Jesus did is at Calvary, He tore him limb from limb, jawbone from jawbone. He crushed his spine, ripped him in half, and left him on the ground for dead. That's what Jesus did. Watch this. It gets a little better. I like this other part too. Yeah, yeah. Next slide. Let's keep it going. Because we need to find out. Then he went and spoke to the woman because Samson wanted her. Let's go to verse 8. Yeah, let's go. Ah, right, here we go. After some time, when he turned to get her, he left the road to see the lion's carcass. In other words, he remembered where the battle was. And as he was getting close, he just, okay, I was right along here, so let me turn over here and take a look at this thing. Somebody up home killed a, killed a gator beside the road two weeks ago, and they put a picture on Facebook. I bet you hundreds of people have stopped, have turned aside to look at the carcass of that gator to see what it looked like. Now, I don't know why anybody wants to see a dead gator. I've seen them all before. But you know what's left of that dead gator now? Just his carcass. And there was a swarm of bees with honey in the carcass. Okay, next. 
He scooped some honey into his hands and ate it as he went along. In other words, out of the cavity of the thing he took victory of, a swarm of bees had lighted in there and they made honey. And what he did is he reached down out of, out of the carcass of the one he defeated and he, draw, he drew something out that had never been drawn out before and that was a handful of honeycomb. And as he went down the road, he was eating that sweet. He was feasting on it. He was, he was receiving energy. And, and, and in a very great sense of the way, he was taking of all the spoils of his victory. Not only had he conquered this line, but now he was eating of the bounty it provided. How about that? You know, a lot of times in terms of warfare, we equate death of the enemy as victory and at the end of it. Mm, not here. Because there's something that was very sweet flowed out of the death of his enemy and the victory that Samson had won. Something very sweet. And he was able to partake of it because he was the victor over it. And don't you think Jesus right now, wherever He is, doing whatever it is Jesus does, don't you think right now, That from the time Jesus ascended in the book of Acts back to glory to be with His Father, don't you think Jesus is he's eating some of the benefits of the victory He has gained over the enemy? Yes, definitely. You know, He's got a crown on His head. He's got something written on His name. His leg says, faithful and true. That's a, that, that's a reward He got. You know, somewhere up there, he's got, he's got a white steed, a white stallion. Somewhere up there. He's got a throne wherever it is he's at. He's seated on that throne. He's got the ear of the Father. And he's petitioning for those that he calls his portion. See, he's not forgot about you. He's in a place of victory. He's in a place of authority. He's in a place of dominion. There is nothing else he can conquer. He has conquered everything. He has ripped the lion into pieces, and he is now eating the rewards of what he's done. But it's not in full consummation yet. It's like he's just going down the road. See, See, he's going down the road here still to get his bride. And he's eating the spoils of his victory. And when he returned to his father and mother, he gave some to them and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scooped the honey from the lion's carcass. So one thing I want to say here, and we'll just kind of bring this thing to a close. You know, everything, everything is symbolic. In dreams, we have symbols. We're learning about that on Friday night. In the Bible, there are symbols, and there are types and shadows of Jesus. And everything means something. What? There won't be any bad suggestion here. What, what, could, what, could, this, uh, what could this honey out of the carcass of the lion, what could this honey out of... Christ's victory. What, what could it represent? This honey. Could I make a suggestion to something I thought about? My suggestion is this. I think it, it represents the gospel slash salvation. Probably the gospel. Samson took the sweetness 
and the, the, the literal energy of his victory. He took those and he gave to his mom and dad. There was enough for him and there was enough for everybody else. And he just, he went along, he said, here mom, have some. Here dad, have some. And he shared the, he shared the sweetness of his victory with his family. When Jesus offered you salvation, He was sharing with you the sweetness of His salvation. And you took it. Now, if you haven't taken it, I want you to understand Jesus is offering that today. He offers it every second of every day, of every week, of every year, day and night, regardless of whether it's rainy or sunshine. He's always there offering the sweetness of salvation. And He's always there saying, here's the gospel, here's the word of God. You know, probably I could say this, before you were saved or, or maybe before the Holy Spirit was dealing with you about salvation and things of the gospel, you could have given a rips Norton howdy about the Bible. You may have went to church, you may have went to Sunday school, and it was just so much stuff. But I'm telling you, when Jesus offers it to you, and you take it, and you eat of it, you won't find satisfaction in anything else because there's nothing that can be substituted for it. So what I'm here to say today is this, is that here, here's Jesus and He's making you this generous offer. And He's on the road. He's on the road to get His, to get his bride. He's on the road to get His wife. Jesus is coming back. And on the way, he's bringing, he's bringing salvation and the glorious glad tidings of the Word of God to humankind. And he said, here it is. Taste it, it's sweet. It's so good, it'll be good for you. Taste this and, 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 and it'll satisfy that thing on the inside that needs to be satisfied. The thing, that, that hole, it'll plug up that hole that's been there that you can't do anything about. That's just everything, all the life just kind of leaks out of you. That's what he'll do if you've never taken him up on his offer. If you've never fully embraced the victory of Jesus' life over the power of the enemy. I'll say something else too. Some of you may have tasted of it and just kind of quit tasting. I want to tell you something. It still tastes as good as it ever did. And as he's coming down the road to get his bride, he, he, he's not just looking for the new convert. He's not looking to, to save, just only save those who are lost. He's looking to restore and redeem too. And he's, he, he's still hand, Jesus is still handing out honey. Still handing out honey. And I don't know where you are today, but here where I stand today, I'm talking about I'm eating it up. I'm going to tell you, I feel it going down. And there are places in my life that because of the presence of the honey that I have received today, there are places in my life, on the inside, tangible places, I can touch them now. I can feel them now. There are places on the inside that he's filling up again. What about you? Where you at? Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed to take the first bite 
or to take a second bite. Because it's the best thing that will ever happen to you. So if you're here today, you need Jesus. If you can see his offer, you've never taken him up. We're going to pray in just a second. I want you to come up. If you, if you need to come up, need somebody to help you, I'll be glad to help you. will be glad to pray for you. We all will. If you receive salvation. If you're here today, if, if you just need a second bite, <laughs> a second taste, a second helping, you know, we can coin it any way you want to. He's here available for you too. All you got to do is take it and eat it. So come while we pray. Father, in Jesus' name. Gosh, what more can we say? What more can we do? Lord, you have, you have reached down. You have kissed earth with the greatest victory in history of mankind. And when you defeated the devil, Lord, a sweetness came forth out of the bowels and recesses of that victory. And you share it with mankind and with us today. And we bless your name for it. We thank you, God, that everything we need has been provided. And all we have to do is take it. In Jesus' name, amen.